Goose house. All right, so I know the game was all the way on last Thursday night, and that feels like a long way away, but I also know you're still bragging about at the water cooler this morning, aren't you? You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andreth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can lay on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the channel. That's where you found us. It is so good to see you again. We are about at 1,650 subscribers. You know, doing something, giving away every 250. The next one list is at 1,750. Help us get there by hitting subscribe and let us know you're in that contest by liking and commenting on the videos. Um, if you're sitting around and you're like, oh man, I don't know what to comment after talking about that game again for the whole episode, but what I'm going to say, tell us in the comments down below. How you spent your Saturday without a Houston Cougar football game to watch? What did you watch? Did you go into volleyball? Did you watch the rest of the Big 12? Did you do something exciting and fun and non-football related? Let us know. Now, I want to talk some in this about that same football game from Thursday. We typically give a game two days to discuss. One's the emotional one. One's the more X's and O's kind of thing, right? Uh, this is obviously going to split somewhat over the weekend. Makes it a little bit awkward, but it also gives us more time to get ready for next week's game, I guess, the rest of the week. So I want to spend one more day kind of putting a bow on last Thursday night's game now that we kind of have the entirety of the weekend to look back on the rest of the Big 12, where Houston is still the lone new Big 12 member to beat an incumbent Big 12 member. I think that's important to keep track of when measuring what success looks like for this program this season. The first thing I'm going to do is talk about what went well. There were some things that I think Houston did impressively on uh, Thursday, you want to say Saturday, on Thursday. Um, and so we'll talk about what went well in those instances. The second thing I talk about is what uh, did not go well, because frankly, uh, you were 12 seconds away from losing that football game. And we um, can talk about what that was and what that meant. And then I had the take online that this is not a fluke. It drew some ire from others. So I want to explain more about what this win not being a fluke means. Now, let's start off with what went well, because frankly, I'm often painted as the more optimistic of your Houston Cougar content creators, and I will take that, wear that badge with honor, um, especially in this game, because I think the, the deal is, is that there's a lot of Houston content creators that went all week talking about how you know, West Virginia is the class, the Big 12, and this is another loss for Dana, and this isn't going to be embarrassing, and, da -da 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 -da, and all those kinds of things. And then Houston comes out on top, right? Um, and we'll talk about the final play, of course. That was exciting, exhilarating. Frankly, you could do a whole podcast just on that single play and the intricacies of this and the that and then getting flushed to the left and still twisting his hips and completing it. And then Man Jack with the tip, the like not, I mean, that will probably not get discussed enough and blah, 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 and all the things and Boogie Johnson being in the game even. All, but so what else they did well? And the first thing they did well, defiantly, is they shut down the run game that I did not think they would do. West Virginia came into this game averaging 4.3 yards per carry, 2.2 rushing touchdowns per game, and 192 yards per game rushing. Houston held them to 3.5 yards per carry. They did have three rushing touchdowns, but two of them were under three yards because they were close, a little quarterback dive kind of stuff, and 
held West Virginia to just 155 yards rushing. Now, Parker, that's just, you know, it's only five or six games in the season. Four of the five previous opponents for West Virginia were power five football teams. This wasn't them running up the score on the Middle Tennessee, Texas A&M, all the different like acronyms and directional school type things, right? Um, This was them establishing that as an identity against power five football, Penn State, Pitt, TCU, Texas Tech, right? Like the same kind of power five football teams that have plagued Houston, West Virginia put up those kind of stats against them, and Houston held them to pretty much a, a, the rushing touchdown game. The quarterback dives, kind of throw that off a little bit, but keeping them below those numbers across the board. Right now, how they do that? What happened? The first thing is that defensive linemen made plays. I talked at nauseum. Oh, hit my mic. I talked at nauseum on the post game episode that went out Friday uh, for those in the audio audience about how well Dot Nwankwo played. I maintain he played that well. I think Pro Football Focus agrees when you read all the stats and the things like that. I mean, he had a phenomenal game against a future pro and made it look like Dot ought to be playing on Sundays. But across the D line, three of the top six tacklers like as far as tackle totals were from the defensive line. They all played very well. Jamari Caldwell played well. Uh, David Gwegbu played well. They all played well. And I think what's important to note in that is this is, yes, they had a, an injury at guard and, and those kind of things in the offensive line for West Virginia. Um, but as a whole, this is a team that had run the ball down dude's throats and the sub that had come in for West Virginia had a fairly decent amount of snaps in the year under their belt anyway. So this was a team that ran the ball, had guys that were experienced in doing it, and Houston managed to shut it down. Now, the defense line played well, but schematically, we give Doug Buck a lot of crap for giving up points, and I, he gets his own bit in the parts that went wrong in a second, in the second segment. But I also want to point out one thing he did that stopped the run and went very well, and that was have his defense linemen primarily play the interior gaps and force the run to go side to side. They took away the downhill running and effectively played very well half-man techniques, taking away the interior gaps with guys like Dot, guys like Gwegbu even played on the inside, like the B-gap some. Um, and what that meant was you had sideline-to-sideline running. You had great tackles being made out of the guys who were responsible for taking that away. A.J. Halsey had 15 tackles as a safety player going sideline-to-sideline making tackles. He had some in the middle too as a pass guy, but obviously 15 tackles, he's all over the field. Jamal Morris, nine tackles. Malik Robinson, seven tackles. Like these guys led the team as guys going sideline to sideline because the defense line took away the interior and made them run side to side, right? That's not getting positive yards and getting chased down by Houston Cougars. That's what worked. That's big time playmaking out of guys that it took me second, third watch to realize, but that's where because the interior technique being played by the inside shade guys across the defensive front. Really, really put a lot on those guys' shoulders instead of made plays. Offensively, um, obviously, you talk about a lot that went well. The thing that stuck out to me, that's my like kudos. I didn't know it was going to go that well for the game. Was um, we found out after the game, Matthew Golden had a groin injury. Now, Dana Holgerson said it's nothing serious. Uh, Matthew Golden, obviously, uh, I am not at practice or anything like that, but I, there's been no report of any serious injuries. It's just a groin tweak, and for athletes, groin tweaks happen. He had a hundred yard kickoff return. Besides the 100-yard kickoff return, though, he played just 23 other snaps. Um, his previous low for snap count in a game, if you're curious, was in the blowout win of Sam Houston State. He played 44. So he played very, very few snaps this game, and Houston managed to make up for it and get cover without it. 
even though he wasn't in the football field. We know that we've seen him get doubled and bracketed and stuff like that and have kind of been the defense. West Virginia didn't have to do that. And Houston still had a very successful day through the air. They threw for 253 yards. Donovan Smith threw for 77.8% completions, four passing touchdowns. Uh, for what it's worth, Donovan was two of four for passes over 20 yards, uh, 50%. I, I'm not great at math. That's 50% for passes over 20 yards, six of seven for passes between 10 and 20 yards, and 13 of 17 under 10 yards. Um, all touchdown, touchdowns thrown with more traditional passes. That means he's not making a read. Uh, an RPO type read mid snap, and he's not like doing any sort of play action play. He is traditionally passing the football. Um, I think that's you know something his detractors would probably argue he doesn't do well. He did it very well on Thursday, regardless of what you think about the season as a whole. Um, now to cover up for Matthew Gold in the past game, Sam Brown and Joseph Manjack had to play basically every snap, and, and that you know kudos to them. Sam Brown had the beautiful block that led Manjack in the end zone. Manjack had a beautiful tip that ultimately led to a Boogie Johnson touchdown. Boogie got the bulk of the replacement uh, snaps. It looked like he played, uh, I by my count, 18 passing plays. He was in the game. Um, I kind of lost track of him in the run plays, but it looked like to me he was in the game for 18 different pass patterns. Um, Dalton Carnes also had his own 10 passing plays, none bigger than the second to last play of the game to take eight yards off of the Hail Mary. But as a whole, that was a a committee working together, right, to ultimately make up for, you know, the guy with the highest pro potential in the skill position group. I, 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 want, I don't want to say that he's the best because we have a lot of talent, and he might very well be the best, but other guys have stepped up a lot this year. Um, coming in the season, I would have said he was the best, and he certainly has the most pro potential of anyone on that offense, uh, certainly in skill positions. I guess Patrick Paul probably has an argument, right? Um, but man, like to have those guys step up was huge. You found other ways to get it done. You continue to have the short passing. We mentioned 13 of 17 under 10 yards and six of seven on 10 to 20 yards. That's where the defense, that zone defense has come on down and you still find ways to gash them in those intermediate spots, right? In those short spots. That's incredible. That's awesome. And it ultimately leads us to our game changer of the day. And that is none other than the, of course, big final Hail Mary pass. Ultimately ends up in the hands of one Stefan Boogie Johnson for his second touchdown of the day. That's the obvious game changer in the moment brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Um, now, Athletic Brewing has changed the game by making non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. You can have these in dozens at your local, at your campouts or as your tailgate or whatever and not worry about any Hangover, mess, sloppiness, etc. They are great. They taste like great craft beers. They're very, very good. Non-alcoholic beers are the way to go about it. When you're trying to make sure you have like a functioning body for the rest of the day and weekend, especially when you're 32 like myself, um, have to say that they're a game changer. But the game changer of the game has to be Stefan Johnson's big Hail Mary catch, obviously. Um, Donovan Smith throwing out to the left, flipping his hips and letting it fly. Um, all kinds of great things happening on that play. The truth is, though, had they won the game outright and not needed the Hail Mary and not whatever, you could have you know the interception in the end of Isaiah Hamilton, all the tackles by A.J. Halsey. You could have had, frankly, Boogie Johnson's first touchdown of the game in which, you know, honestly, like he like, oh, this guy can play. He had a slot fader out, which he just turned on the burners and caught the ball in the back of the end zone. Right, like all uh, Joseph Manjack, the catch and run behind Sam Brown's fantastic block. All those kinds of things also happened. But Boogie Johnson's won the game. Boogie Johnson's flooded the field with fans. Boogie Johnson's wrapped it up and gave Houston their first 
Big 12 win as a Big 12 member. And again, the only new Big 12 program to have a win over an incumbent Big 12 program. That is your uh, Athletic Brewing Game Changer of the Weekend. Now, I do want to talk some about what didn't go well and what went wrong. Because, frankly, again, Houston was all of 12 seconds from losing this game. Um, and we got to start back with the defense, just like we did the things that went well. I told you this is going to come back around to Doug Belk <laughs> at some point. But versus Division One FBS opponents, because I want to count their the uh, West Virginia played Duquesne, uh, an FCS team, a good FCS team, but an FCS team, right? Um, West Virginia had not passed for over 162 yards in any FBS football game this year. They threw for 391 against the Houston Cougars. Now, admittedly, Houston was using their linebackers and safeties in the run game to stop the run and force West Virginia to do something they're not great at, theoretically. I guess schematically it's like, you know, we'll, we'll let you do your second thing. We'll take away your first thing. But 391 yards? <laughs> like, that's that's a lot of yards. That's a lot of yards, folks. That's a lot of yards. Uh, West Virginia was five, of, uh, 5 for 12 in deep throws. That's over 20 yards. But 5 of 6 in deep throws over the middle. What that means is I'm watching the game. Definitely saw this one the second time through than I did live. Um, but A.J. Halsey has to come down and play the run game. He's a great tackler. He's a fierce tackler, ferocious tackler. And they're getting him involved in the sideline, sideline stuff in the run game. That means the vacated spot behind him, they got to run even coverages, two, four, or man with nothing behind it. And uh, so it's zero, so zero, two, four. And what that looks like is that that middle of the field spot ends up being wide open because Halsey's got to come down and play the run. And again, I, I get theoretically taking away what West Virginia's good at, but it certainly looked like that's going to be a problem going forward. 391 yards is a lot of passing yards to Garrett Green in the West Virginia offense. Like, that's not a pass-happy offense, not a passing strong offense. Um, frankly, the other worrying thing about it was they had a, a crazy long first drive, seven minutes, 51 seconds, um, and, and that took like it looked like they were going to be able to run the ball as much as they wanted, whenever they wanted, in the rest of the game, and Houston was able to fix that. They had four other scoring drives, of less than four minutes. And on the inverse, that's way too fast, <laughs> right? That That is way, way too fast. That, uh, that's giving up big chunk plays over and over. Occasional penalties, too, were factored into those, obviously. Um, that's giving up a lot of points and not a lot of time, which ultimately led to this being as close a game as it was, right? Houston goes up by two scores in the fourth quarter and, frankly, should have been able to kind of get away with things after that, right? At the 728 mark, Houston goes up 35 to 24. And that should have been curtains. Even if you give a touchdown at that point, you just got to continue to work the clock and run the ball out. Instead, Houston had to go three and out and punt in there and also gave two touchdowns in the final seven minutes. Um, not great. Not great. Not great. Um, now, again, they won the game. I don't mean to say that, you know, at the end of the day, they got one and oh in the win column. That's a good thing, right? Um, the way that West Virginia did the thing was interesting, and I don't mean to hang on this too long, but I love our DBs. I love our new DBs. Our transfers are making plays. Isaiah Hamilton makes picks. Lee Fleming makes picks. AJ Halsey makes tackles. These guys are good, but they're kind of short. And um, what West Virginia did 
especially against cover zero kind of stuff, where, again, Houston's bring their safeties down and play in the run game. They found big wideouts, 6'3", Traylon Ray, uh, 6'3", Devin Carter, 6'7", Cole Taylor, all in one-on-one scenarios where they could kind of box out the defense. We saw this happen in Lake Fleming a couple times. Um, and just throw jump balls like to, to big, big receivers doing box out drills like it's a basketball practice. Um, that's why you had Traylon Ray have a long, he had a 35 yard catch. Uh, Devin Carter had a 49 yard catch. Uh, Cole Taylor, I believe his was like 18 or something, but he's the tight end at six, seven, right? So it's a different kind of jump ball. And he got him down by the goal line and could have scored on it, right? Um, what happens then? <laughs> and this is interesting, like the, the chess game that is a football game as coaches. Um, they start to bracket those guys and, and treat them a little differently to try and not let the box outs happen. And then you see the six foot, six one guys get in the game, right? That's when you see uh, the Horton kid who's about six feet tall have his 45 yard catch. Hudson Clement, the guy, oh, I'm hitting my mic again. Hudson Clement, the guy that had the touchdown that would have been a game winner for them. It's only 6-1, but Houston was clearly so worried about the rub route for the jump ball, right, that they got mixed up and crisscross and let him run across the field kind of naked there at the end of the game, right, in their prevent defense. They were so concerned about the big receiver. They let 6-1 Hudson Clement go for a 50-yard touchdown, right? Now, that's the defensive struggles. We've had defensive struggles. We've we've given up a lot of points in the past. (laughs) One struggle we had that I thought we'd fix, darn it, was figuring out our own run game. I thought we knew who the running back was. <laughs> I thought Parker Jenkins was the guy. He had six carries for 24 yards. Six carries for 24 yards. Now, Stacey Sneed is a guy that likes to make me Mount Crow, and I think he's a really good athlete. But my thing has been, I think he's a slot receiver. He had seven carries for 78 yards, which is a lot. Kudos. He had one of those carries go for 58 yards. That means his other six carries went for 20, Right. And that's not terrible. That's not bad. But Parker Johnson had six for 24 and only got those six carries. Stacey Seed had the, you know, six of his seven went for 20, right? Um, Parker Jenkins is a much more traditional running back. He does a lot of things with burst. He's a true freshman. Darn it. He's going to be so good, folks. Um, and I'm really in, I'm really into the, the trajectory progression of his career. Um I, I think he's going to be really strong. I, it reminds me, he's not the same kind of back as Alton was when Alton was a freshman, but he, it's the same kind of trajectory to me, projection to me. Like he's going to be impactful. Um, Stacy Sneed has that kind of speed, that kind of wheels that makes me think he's a slot receiver. Frankly, even in scene in, I mean, obviously that he had a touchdown catch as a slot played for uh, against Sam Houston state. And um, I guess that's part of it, but he also, you remember, on that 58-yard touchdown, it was kind of a, an awkward toss that was almost a forward pass, right? Donovan Smith takes a couple steps and then flips it like a parallel pitch. It's, it's kind of a dummy option play. It was very much just blocked like a toss. There was no read on it. It's just to kind of get one, two, three before you put, t- pitch the ball. Anyway, the way he took the pitch reminded me of like a, a slot receiver taking a bubble screen or something like that, right? Like he moves around like a slot. I think he could be a really darn good slot. I get Houston's got a busy receiver room. I get that there's not like extra snaps to be had in that room. But I I don't want to I don't want to come across like I'm not saying he does things well. He does some things very well. I just think that's positionally where he is. And um I think it makes it easier when you get Parker the ball more. And they didn't. Um for what it's worth, they didn't give a ball to a whole lot of guys running the football either. 
Um, and so maybe they just didn't want to get into that as a team at all. But Thomas Smith has listed at 12 carries. But I think some of those have to do with like sack numbers, stuff like that, right? Um, had his own rushing touchdown on the quarterback power play, which I loved. Um, I love the RPO stuff where he gets a carry out of it because he's making a pre-snap box read. Uh, Tony Mathis had one lone carry and had a deep pass pattern that I think if Donovan Smith had time to throw it, he'd actually hit him on, but I digress. The running back is Parker Jenkins, and I like the guys as people we've got, and I think they do some things well. I think Tony Mathis does the tough stuff well. I think Brandon Campbell in the 1990s have been told to gain 40 pounds to play fullback. And again, I think Stacey Sneed is a, a maybe even pro slot receiver, right? Um, I just I just think it's got to be PJ, folks. And I thought we'd figure that out. And apparently, we have not. But one thing that you probably need to figure out, or that you might have figured out if you've had some card trouble, is that when it comes to putting together your car, it's a lot like putting together a great team. And you got to make sure you bring home the trophy by putting together the best team. And the best place to do that is eBay Motors. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers to roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motor has you covered with over 122 parts for your ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. I like that line, burning rubber, not cash. But with all the parts you need and the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusion supply, eBay guarantee fits only available to U.S. customers. Again, keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. All right, so I mentioned at the open that I, I sent out a tweet with a handful of facts and a handful of stats that mentioned that this was not a fluky win. It was a Hail Mary win, but not a fluky win. And people didn't like that. Um, some people want me to say fire Dana over and over again. That's all they want to hear. Um, I don't know if this saved his job or not. There's some speculation this game maybe saved his job for another year. We can talk about that at a different point. We have more time to talk. Um, maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll see. Tell me down below if that's what you're going to be talking about tomorrow. Sure, we'll see. Um, but I do think that because this game finished on a Hail Mary, a lot of the national audience that didn't watch this game, they're busy watching Thursday Night NFL football, the MLB playoffs or whatever. Um, a lot of the national media is saying, oh, this fluky Houston upsetting West Virginia. Da, 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 and they're like getting all tied into this idea that this is a fluke win by Houston. How else could little old Houston knock out big West Virginia? Like whatever, right? Um, and I think that's bogus. I think it's bogus for a couple things. But one, Houston takes a 11-point lead, two scores, at the uh, 7-28 mark. 728 left in the game. Now, I know that it comes down to be a much closer game than that. But generally speaking, that means you've done something really, really right for, again, three and a half quarters. Right? That means you're winning at the three and a half quarter mark. And for what it's worth, you're also winning at the end of the third quarter. You're also winning at the end of the second quarter. And frankly, you are driving towards that, you know, at the end of the first quarter, you know, you were down 10 to seven at the end of the first quarter, but you're ending winning at the end of three out of the four quarters. You had a big, big advantage in the past game. Um, 
uh, for a majority of this game until the very end, right? Because they had two, <laughs> they had a 75 yard drive and 88 yard drive, both of which were predominantly passing the football, right? Um, and by and large, it kind of looked like, honestly, Dana and company had outcoached Neil Brown. Um, schematically, they'd found a way to take away the run, the thing West Virginia had done against everybody. I mean, West Virginia ran the ball well against Tech, against TCU. They, frankly, ran the ball pretty well against Penn State. And Houston had taken that away. And I think, you know, we, we give Doug Buck a lot of hate for the things he doesn't do well. That was something that they did well. They did, they did big 12 caliber well, right? Um, I also, for what it's worth, look at, you know, offensively, they had, a, they had a plan. And they had a plan that worked when their best receiver was hurt. That's, that's impressive. That's not fluky. That's winning. It scored 35 points, right? 35 points. The over-under was set in the 40s. They nearly got there by themselves. They, by the end of the game, they do get in the 40s by themselves, right? Like this as a whole was a well-executed game plan by a team that needed it that night more than anything, right? Um, Houston absolutely should have won this football game. And I think the telltale sign is, A, those of you commenting down below that we need to fire Dan anyway. Again, I hear you. We'll talk about that at a later date. I've given my opinion on that. Um, the realities of that in, in one episode. You can go back and check out the, the catalog there. But we'll talk about it again if we need to. But also, if the Hudson Clement catch with 12 seconds left, like let's say Gearing doesn't throw his helmet or whatever he does, get the 15-yard penalty after that. Let's say it's a normal kickoff touchback. Let's say Dalton Carnes doesn't catch the ball. Let's say they had to throw a 75-yard Hail Mary and they don't do it. Let's say Houston loses 39 to 35. Would you have said that they just lost to a better team? Absolutely not. There's 0% chance anyone, anyone listening to this, anyone watching college football, anyone that watched that game, there's a 0% chance that they would have said, oh yeah, he's just lost to a better team. 0%. And by doing that, you're telling me that you're playing the results. Because had the results been flipped, by 12 seconds, what you would have said was that, well, you know, they blew it. They, they should have won that game. They were better. Well, if you're 12 seconds away from saying they blew it because they should have won that game because they were better, and then they do win the football game, then they didn't. There's no way it was a fluke. They were better. You said it. You would have said it. Right? And so I think that's the thing that's frustrating is there's a lot of it's easy to get negative when you're not undefeated, right? And frankly, there's people that are negative even when they're undefeated. I can't understand that. It's easy to get negative about clutch football, though, because you want everything to be perfect. Every play is blocked up like it should be a touchdown, right? Every defense is covered to where you got to cover everything up, right? Every kickoff return, frankly, is drawn up like it needs a score. But at the end of the day, both teams practice, and they don't, right? And I think it's interesting to say, oh, Houston gets a fluke win, safety and a job. I can't believe they did that, da 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 when it just it just feels convenient, it feels easy, it feels lazy to call it a fluke win just because it ends on a Hail Mary. Now, is that play a high percentage play in anyone's playbook? No, absolutely not. It was a great play first by, I'm honestly, go back. First, it was a great play by Donovan Smith to get out there and get ready to throw it, right? That is not an easy throw to make, especially when you're falling to your non-dominant hand side. Not an easy throw. Second is a great play by Manjack to keep the ball in the air as opposed to letting West Virginia guy knock it down. 
Third, it was an incredible reaction and snag by one Boogie Johnson. Um, a great play made all around by those guys. I don't want to diminish how great that play was. But had they not made it, we'd be sitting here talking about a Houston let one go. They were the better football team, and they didn't win. Instead, they do win, and we need to address it as such. They were the better football team, and they won. And I don't think there's any way to go about that as anything other than it's not a fluke. And I understand the transitive property people want to make. Like, well, they lost to TCU and Texas Tech, right? And those teams lost to West Virginia. So naturally, that would have been the three. No, but football is not like that. It's matchups. It's weeks. It's health. All those things play a factor, right? And at that moment, Houston's better. And at this moment, Houston's better. And regardless of what happens this Saturday or next Saturday, the one after, we have empirical evidence. Houston's better. It wasn't some randomness. It wasn't some luckiness. It, Houston's the better football team. If anything, the way Hudson Clement is just uh, over the top, over the middle, but like there was luck involved in that too that we're not addressing and calling it a fluke. But I, I digress. If you have other thoughts and comments, if you have other thoughts on the football game, if you are tired of talking about the football game, you're going to shut up talking about it. Stop talking about it. Tell me in the comments down below thank you all so much for making locked on cougs your first listen of the day drake over at locked on big 12 has all the big 12 action uh he actually praises houston some that's a thing it was brief it was short short-lived thanks drake go check that out over at locked on big 12 thank you all so much for tuning in today locked on cougs primary locked on podcast network that means your team every day go cougs